You know, Pastor Virus began Stewardship Month last week reminding us of our mission. And we heard how one of our members, a Purdue professor, was seeking to live out that mission in his work. You know, after church last Sunday, I saw a group of 25 or so students walking into the auditorium. They had come to hear his testimony. And they were getting a picture together after the service. And I thought, wow, wow, that speaks to not only his desire to live missionally, but the desire that he's had to minister to his students, so much so that they would actually come to hear his testimony. What a great picture of mission that was. And then did you enjoy Marcia's testimony? What a powerful picture that was. And for the, even for those of us who have known Marcia and Scott for many years, we might not have known all of the pictures of that story. You know, last week you received a stewardship devotional. It explains the four factors of stewardship that have been part of our church for the last 45 years. And I hope you're working to memorize them if you haven't already. God owns everything and you own nothing. How freeing is that? Just to remind yourself that everything I have is just held with an open hand. That God entrusts you with everything that you have, including your mind, your ability to accomplish various tasks. You can increase or diminish what God has given, and he wants you to increase it. And God can call you into account at any time, and it might be today. It's just what a powerful reminder these four things are. And they touch various aspects of life uh, that we encounter. This is a way of thinking. It's a lifestyle. And we encourage you to memorize these principles and seek to apply them out in all of your various aspects of your life. You know, Pastor Byers explained that stewardship is a broad principle. And our task today is to think about the stewardship of personal discipline. Stewardship of personal discipline. I've explained before that the preaching schedule is a joint effort, and I don't put a lot of attention into it until it's time for me to speak. And I looked at this one and thought, oh boy, oh boy, you've got to be kidding me. Obviously, the Lord wants me to think about this subject and then let you in on the conversation. Because, you know, when I think about disciplined people, I think about those who started writing their papers like weeks before they were due. They're just on top of everything. I mean, they're always ahead of things. I don't know about you, but, man, my papers were warm from being printed when I submitted them. I once gave a presentation in a seminar from notes that I had made on a napkin at 1 o'clock in the morning, the morning of the presentation. I run my life on a quarter-size sheet of legal paper. looks like this. If it doesn't fit on this piece of paper, it doesn't fit in my life. Like, I, I just can't handle any more. You know, Pastor Byers always has these five or six legal pads, and I'm like, I, I'm just not mature enough for that. I can't, I can't handle that. And, and I find that I work best when my hind parts are literally on fire. Not, not when I'm in advance, ahead, but when I'm, like, desperate. So when I saw stewardship of personal discipline, I thought, oh, this is going to be convicting. Well, with that in mind, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is nearing the end of his life and ministry. 
Timothy, his most trusted disciple, is one that he wants to pass on everything that he knows. He gives them important tasks to accomplish, and not surprising from our study in 2 Peter, he's going to be asked to address some church struggles, including their willingness to accept false teaching and then follow it. And amid that comes a passage that deals with personal discipline and what it looks like. So please follow along as I read. I'm going to start in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, but verses 6 to 10 will be our primary focus this morning. This is the word of the Lord. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seated in their own, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected as if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers." Now, I'd like us to consider this morning three steps to be a good steward of your personal discipline. The first one is to have the right goal, to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. I love the second phrase in the text. This is in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be good servants, or you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. It helps to know the target. What is our discipline designed to achieve? It's extremely difficult to be a good steward of personal discipline if our discipline does not result in the proper goal being accomplished. In other words, we're seeing in context that we have to reject false teaching, and in this case, could have anything to do with driving us off of our purpose. We've spoken about false teaching a lot this year. And that's what the things are in the beginning of verse 6. And pointing out these things, referring back to the first five verses, the kind of teaching that focuses people on the wrong things. Takes their time and attention and effort and energy and puts it in the wrong direction to give ourselves to those things. Inevitably, when we are focused on the wrong teaching then we will pursue goals other than being a good servant of Christ Jesus. Instead, we're supposed to invest in studying the Scripture, and that's, of course, not surprising. Because when Paul trained his protégés, he pointed them again and again to the Word. So what does the Word say? What chapter and verse can be used to help us make that decision? 
what concept or theology could help us evaluate our options. He knows that in order to navigate life, we're going to need the life-giving and unchanging source of truth. And he uses two phrases in this passage to emphasize two different aspects of that word. One is words of faith, emphasizing the content, the meaning of individual passages. If we're going to be a good servant, we need to know how to take a specific passage of Scripture and apply it to life. Like every young parent knows Philippians 2.14, don't they? Every young parent knows that. Do everything without complaining or arguing. It's a passage we memorize, and then we tell our children over and over and over again. Here's what it means. Do everything without complaining and arguing. It's not complicated, but it's very significant. You know, some people, they they live like Eeyore. You know, it's Eeyore. I mean, he's always got to whine about something. I mean, he can find a problem about everything. Hebrews 10, 24 tells us to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. It means that we're actively seeking to encourage one another in our faith and in our service to do good deeds. Being a good servant of Christ involves knowing how individual passages apply to individual circumstances of life. But then he uses this broader term of sound doctrine, where now we have the task of coordinating many different passages together in order to think through how we're supposed to live in a certain situation. It's how they go together. When a person thinks about, well, how do you address the issue of anxiety, for example? Because there are certain things in life that are hard, and we are concerned about them. So good servants of Jesus Christ know that part of the answer is going to be prayer. We cast our cares on him because he cares for us. So rather than figure everything out on our own, we seek the Lord and we tell him about our concerns. We ask him to work in our hearts through his spirit and his word in order to give us wisdom for the challenge of the day. But that's not all we do. That's part of the answer. But we don't stop there. We also trust that the Lord will help us in the midst of the challenge. So we pray and we trust and we obey while we wait for the Lord to make the path clear. And when life seems overwhelming, then many of us have learned this little statement, do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. You don't worry about tomorrow. You trust God for the results of today. You give Jesus first place in your life, including in that area of struggle. You believe that the Lord cares and will provide the grace needed to endure. And you do the next right thing. So being a good steward of our personal discipline isn't just about how we organize our life. It's about how we reach the targets striving to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Here are a couple of possible suggestions to help you as you think about um, improving on this matter in your own life. 
you know, we have the Biblical Counseling Training Conference, and many of us think about that as other people coming here. And that's certainly part of the story. And over the years, God has blessed us with many church leaders, pastors, missionaries, other lay leaders in various churches to come and to hear how the Word of God might apply to various kinds of challenges. But you know, it's also for us. It's also for us. And you received an email this week about a couple of options for all of you as church members. And one of my favorite BCTC memories occurred a few years ago. I was walking the halls, and it was in between a couple of sessions, and I see this guy, and I can tell that he's wiping tears away. And I went up to him, and I said, you know, sir, you doing okay? Is there something that I can do for you? And he looks at me, and he says, uh, I came to this conference because I wanted to help people. He said, but I realized that this conference was for me. The reason I'm crying is I just got off the phone with my wife, and I told her how sorry I have been and asked her to forgive me for treating her in a way that didn't honor Jesus. And she was crying, and I was crying, and I had no idea that God was going to do a work in my heart like this. So, friends, one answer could be for you is just to come and be part of it. Many of us serve in it, but there's also the content of it that will help you think about the various issues, challenges that you face, either in your own life or in the lives of those that you love. We also have, you say, man, five days is a lot. Five days is a lot. We also have one day. It's a pre-conference on trauma. And, you know, we, there's a lot of discussion about trauma these days. So we're going to talk about trauma from the Word for a day. In order to help think through, how do I even process the concept of trauma? How do I think about it? What do I do about it? If somebody says that they have been traumatized, what do I do about that? How do I respond? We're going to have a day dedicated solely to that. And so if you want to come, there's a way to register for that and to be a part of that one day that could make a significant influence in your study of the Word in a topic like that. My point is that being a good steward of your personal discipline will involve making time for growth and understanding, not just individual passages of Scripture, but how scriptural concepts go together. Now, here's a second step. Pursue the correct means. That is godliness. The passage goes on to say, On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. So how are we going to accomplish this? What does it mean to discipline ourselves to godliness? Well, first, we recognize the limited value of bodily discipline. Now, notice I didn't say no value. We are embodied souls. That is, we're made up of two parts, material and immaterial. And the Bible clearly teaches that physical death is the separation of those two parts. While we're alive... 
they interact. We understand that it's more difficult to read our Bibles in the morning when our head feels like it's going to explode. We all get that. We've all experienced that. We understand that it's more, ha- it's more difficult to be happy in Jesus when our recent chemo treatment results in getting sick every hour. We get that. We know that in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the very next chapter, Paul encouraged Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach because of his frequent ailments. It's one of the reasons why we value good medical care. Positively, we know that eating appropriate amounts of food, focusing on our bodies, moving, sleeping, is a good thing for us. It helps us be productive, energized, and in a better position to handle trials and circumstances. But Paul's concern was not first Timothy's routine or his diet. He valued godliness more. And why was that? Well, first, because of its extent. It's not profitable for all things. It's only profitable for a few things. We can, with good exercise and good eating habits, stave off at least some of the things like diabetes or early heart disease. But have you noticed this? That even if you work really hard to discipline yourself, you can still be just as much of a pill as anybody else. You notice that? You can work hard and and make buying clothes really easy. But you can also be full of pride and idolatry. You might be able to run a half marathon and do so fast, like top of your age group fast. And you still might be able to send really hurtful messages to those that you love because you're irritated. Bodily discipline doesn't fix you. It may help with a few things, but it doesn't address the inner man, and it never will. It's also limited in its duration. It's only good for this life, and only, frankly, for a little while. At our very best, it only produces good results when our soul and our body are one, and that's best-case scenario. Any of you notice the diminishing returns as you get older? I'm 52 now. It's different than what it was at 32, and you know, everybody who's 72 is like, oh, wait, just wait. When you get to be 72, it's way worse. Okay, thank you very much. I'm not suggesting that we refuse to care for our bodily discipline. It can be an area of stewardship. In fact, we've even had that as a topic of stewardship during Stewardship Month in previous years. But we also need to see that there is a limited value to it, and we're supposed to acknowledge instead the value of godliness. In 1 Timothy 4.8, he says, But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. We saw this summer when we were studying 2 Peter chapter 1, we had all these things that we were supposed to add to our saving faith. And one of those things was godliness. Add godliness to your saving faith. Well, what is that? There's a couple of phrases, I think, that help us really grasp what the value of godliness is. 
The first is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Positively, it means having a joyful reminder to love the Lord and allow our love for him to motivate us for life. Part of the fear of the Lord is loving him. And then it has a a negative side too, and that is fearing the Lord also encourages us not to do things that would provoke him to us receiving discipline. And so we decide to move toward him because we want to be toward him. We love him. And because we understand that we are not interested in further discipline. Another phrase comes from Latin. You've heard it many times. It's quorum Deo. It means to be in the presence of God or before his face. It's the idea that we are keenly aware of his presence. To be godly is one to recognize that God is with them through all of the moments of life. And that then would influence how we respond. So when somebody's about ready to say something snarky, they remember, wait a minute, Jesus is here. When someone's about ready to watch something that shouldn't be watched, they think, Jesus is here. When they start having an attitude, they, right, it's time to get this in check because Jesus is here. A person who pursues godliness recognizes that the Lord is with them every minute of every day. And they're motivated by that to then live pleasing to him. And this is where that discipline is so important because it does take structure and practice much like bodily discipline does. So here are a few ideas that might need to go on whatever system you use in order to organize your life prayer in the morning, at each meal, and at bedtime. That's just part of normal, everyday routine. And maybe even having a list to ensure that you're keeping your prayers fresh. Putting a passage of Scripture on an index card and placing it prominently in your life, wherever that might be. Maybe it's in the car, maybe it's on a computer monitor, maybe it's on your shovel, you know, whatever it is that you do, just having it around you so that you're constantly reminded of that truth as you're living out your day. Talk about the Lord as part of your normal conversation. You know, how much God talk is there, if you will? If somebody were to listen to our words for five straight hours, how much of that time would go back to the Lord? Would it ever go back? Finding ways to make a difference through service. There always comes a point where our next step of growth is giving away some of what we have. It's always the next step is to just give away some of what we have. And then we recognize, wow, now I need more. Because now I'm helping this person and I'm seeing the ways in which I need to grow in my ability to help. Always having a way that you believe God wants you to change. Just always having one way. Oh, Lord, I know you're not happy with my anger. 
I, I get sinfully angry, and I, I just I say things that aren't honoring to you. That's my way right now. Or maybe you're just not as compassionate as you should be. It's not so much anger. It's just you don't think about compassion the way you should. So you're going to put on your index card a passage all about God's compassion. And you're saying, Lord, I need to be more like you. I need to be more compassionate and kind. In other words, this requires routine and structure. In 2 Timothy, as Paul's writing his very last letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, he says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Because no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. So he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. In other words, he emphasizes focus, determination, playing by the rules. All of that is discipline. And you know, friends, it's easy to be disciplined in some areas of life and to think that that's good enough. When really it's not good enough. Because one area of discipline does not necessarily correspond to another area of discipline. Let me tell you a story. About 10 years ago, you, those of you who have been here that long, remember that there was a triathlon buzz taking place around Faith Church. And I decided to get on that bandwagon. But I knew, I knew that swimming was dangerous. A pool was okay. I could probably survive in the pool. But open water swimming scared me. So I decided, well, if I'm going to do this, then I need to train. And so I disciplined myself. On my quarter sheet of paper were the workouts for the week. And it was Saturday morning, and I got up at 6 o'clock to get ready for my workout for the morning. And while I didn't purposely wake up Stephanie, I did. And she said to me, do you think you're taking this too seriously? I mean, do you have to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning? And without missing a beat, here's what I said to her. So you want me to drown? What did she even say to that? Yes, hon, I've been praying and fasting that you would drown at the event. Like, what was up with that? I mean, that story is so bad wrong for a whole bunch of reasons, but here's a couple of them. I was doing a better job at disciplining my bodily exercise than I was in disciplining myself that I'm living before the face of God. Because in that moment, ugliness came out. Discipline in one area does not necessarily translate to another. Spiritual matters require spiritual discipline. And I had misplaced priorities. See, I needed more Jesus and a little bit less exercise. And that's why sinful words came out of my mouth. And I did a little damage 
to the relationship because I wasn't godly enough to control my tongue. Sometimes we have to take some stuff out in order to put some stuff in. And regardless of what you use to organize your life, what goes in it matters. And what's it matter for? Well, godliness, he said, matters for present circumstances. Godliness greatly reduces stress, pressures, hardships, suffering. And while it doesn't eliminate those things completely, at least we're not adding to the problem by making foolish choices ourselves. When we live with a sense that God is with us at all times, paying attention to every word that we say, then the way you speak to the people around you changes. The way you resist temptation changes. The way you refuse to accept foolishness and accept the truth changes. The way you look to make a difference changes. It changes how you live and the kind of blessings that you experience. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. But then it says this, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Godliness even affects our physical well-being. Then, the things still to come. This may not only refer to the fact that Jesus' children enjoy eternal life with him, but that godly stewardship results in reward. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. In other words, there's no amount of physical exercise that will change one's eternal state or the reward offered. But godliness sure does. Godliness does. And then we, in verse 9, it makes this interesting statement. I'm just going to call this appreciating the significance of the statement. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. What is the trustworthy statement? These occur five times in First and Second Timothy and Titus. They're called the five faithful sayings. By this time, many churches existed. But there weren't a lot of churches that would have had a completed Bible. Instead, one church would have had one letter, and another church another letter, and a few churches had a couple letters. But it's not like everybody had the whole Bible like you and I in one binding. So how do you keep it straight? How do you pay attention to what you really need to know when you don't just get to read the Bible in the morning because you don't own one? Well, they had statements, and this was one of them. Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. That was the faithful saying. And so Paul was drawing on that 
to a culture that loved sport, just like ours, to a culture that loved to be enamored with the ability of individuals to do things physically, feats of strength and agility and speed. And in the church, it was, remember this, bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. What a great reminder that those words matter. And they should be part of our commitment to ourselves, to those around us. Let's ensure that godliness is part of our discipline. So we got the right goal now. We know the way to accomplish it, pursuing godliness. Now we got to pay the cost. Now we got to pay the cost. Verse 10, For it is for this that we labor and strive, because we fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Friends, everything has a cost. We just decide what price we want to pay. And the Lord wants us to pay the cost associated with disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. The reward is worth the cost. And he starts by saying, by the way, our hope is fixed on the living God. Ancient Greece was full of deities. And Paul reminds his protege that their hope is fixed on the living God, the one who's active in the world. Not just a bunch of dead gods with cool names and stories that individuals made up. Our hope is in the living God. The one who rewards those who diligently seek him. And then we find this little interesting statement. I suspect that some of you were, even as I read the text a few minutes ago, were thinking, what in the world does that mean? That God is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Thinking, man, I hope he talks about that because I'm confused about that. Well, let's, let's think about it. It clearly is emphasizing the fact that God is the one who saves all believers. It sounds a little strange. And there's really two different ways this passage could be understood. We'll, we'll cover both of them. But both ways emphasize this same point. That God is the Savior of all believers. This connects to the mission from last week. That we are to win the lost by proclaiming the gospel. And it connects to the stewardship testimony today. Nobody earns their way to salvation. We're all dependent on the Lord to work in our hearts and to make us alive to the message of the gospel. And if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then praise God for that. And I hope that you will thank him for helping you recognizing Recognize your need for Christ. You know, in the last month, I've had conversations with two people. One is dying, getting things in order. The other was just simply unsure of their salvation. And neither one were ready to confess that they were a sinner in need of a Savior. And that my prayer is that they will repent before it's too late. And, you know, wasn't Marcia's testimony today pretty powerful along that same line? 
Stephanie and I met Scott and Marcia in 2002 when I was an intern here. We were, uh, our dryer had died and they were getting rid of one. And uh, so I contacted them and ended up meeting them through a dryer exchange. And Marcia attended faithfully and Scott never did. And you often wonder, what would it have been like to live with an unbeliever all those years? Where he just didn't have an interest in the things of the Lord. He said, hey, you know, if you want to do the spiritual stuff, the religious stuff, well, that's fine. I mean, that's your territory. And how challenging that would be week after week, year after year, decade after decade. And for me, one of the most powerful moments in the testimony was when she said, you know, we got to spend one Christmas Eve service together. Just one Christmas Eve service together. But at the same time, she says, but boy, what a joy it was. That after all these years, Scott finally placed his faith and trust in Christ. After all these years of seeking to love him and honor him and to win my husband, it finally happened. And she confessed it was the Lord who did that. Friends, you may have somebody that you're longing to see come to know Christ. And it's hard because you want your home to be full of Jesus and it just isn't. Well, take hope in the living God who is still saving people, transforming them through the power of his spirit. Pursue godliness. Be a good servant of Jesus Christ and a steward of your personal discipline. And Marcia had heard those words for a long, long time before the Lord saved Scott. Now, if you're here this morning and you know, I mean, you know that there's somebody in your life thinking that about you right now. And you've been resisting. You've heard the gospel many times before, but struggling to make it your own. Can I encourage you to repent of your sin this morning? That you would see your need and trust in the finished work of Christ before it's too late? Then the last point is who provides common grace to the lost? The question isn't whether God is the Savior of all believers, for that is true. The question is whether there's also common grace discussed here. In this sense, God is the Savior of all men, emphasizes the fact that God is, in one way or another, providing protection, care, or deliverance. Whether a person recognizes that it happens or not, it could be that when the books are open, that the Lord has said, you know, you remember that accident on 65 where three people died? You could have been there. But I made you late, so you wouldn't be there. Do you remember when this event happened? You were planning to go and couldn't go because your child was sick. That was my way of protecting you. They may recognize it, they may not. But the picture here is common grace. And yet another reason why we should pay the cost The Lord is actively pouring out his grace on the just and the unjust. 
So what's it mean to live with personal discipline, to be a good steward of it? To ensure our goal is to be a good servant of Christ. To ensure that we are pursuing godliness. And to ensure that we're fixing our hope on the living God who's still pouring out his common and saving grace. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for our time this morning. And Lord, if we're all being honest, we struggle being disciplined for godliness. We find a lot of other things to be disciplined about. But we don't necessarily discipline ourselves to be more like our Savior. I pray that we would be more aware that you are with us. That we need to properly fear you. That is, love you on one side and on the other to be reminded that we don't want to displease you. Because we don't want to experience the hand of a loving Father's discipline. Lord, I pray that it would change the way we live. And Lord, if being disciplined for godliness results in a little less discipline for other things, then would you help us be willing to pay that cost? Knowing that discipline for godliness is good for the here and now, and it's also good for the life to come. Lord, we understand that you could call us into account at any time. We understand that in a moment, life could change forever. So would you help us to be a good steward while you continue to give us strength and energy and the ability to do all that we can. So, Lord, we're asking for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.